Happy holidays, everyone. Mike Hill here. It is the end of the year, and also, coincidentally, the end of a decade. And I'm going to put out this episode sort of encapsulating my feelings about the last 10 years. For any of you who have listened to Metal Matters, my other podcast, uh, Randy and I did a best records of 2019. And uh, any of you who follow Necromaniacs, my horror podcast that I do with Mike Scandato, we covered the last decade of our top 10 horror films. So since that's kind of the, the vibe of these kind of end of the year things, um, I'm going to cover first and foremost my favorite records of the last 10 years. I have to be honest with you guys, when Randy and I looked at doing a year-end episode for Metal Matters, it kind of escaped us at the ep- that the decade was over with. Uh, that goes to show you how out of touch I am <laughs> with with the way things are going. Uh, I realized that after we had recorded the episode that 2019 was the end of uh, whatever we're going to call this decade. With that said, I kind of feel like the last 20 years have been this nondescript collection of years without any real discernible difference between the decades. You know, if you look at the end of the 20th century, you had the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. And um, they all are sort of unique in their own way. I mean, just by saying those, uh, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, that conjures up uh, certain images. You know, you think of uh, certain things. Things come to mind with the reference to those 10-year sections of time. When I think of the period of 2001 through 2009 and the period of 2010 to 2019, I can't think of any discernible difference between those sets of 10 years. Maybe it's just me. And if any of you out there can please tell me what the difference between those two decades is, feel free to hit me up. You can hit me up via social media, Instagram. Email me directly if you want. If you have my email, that is. And uh, yeah, just let me know what your thoughts are because I really can't tell the difference of anything in the last 20 years. Some of the things that actually come to mind are our move towards this disassociated network and maybe a lack of community among people. More and more, I feel like we're going into this collection of individuals instead of having any real interactions. And I, I am always a fan of being an individual. However, you live in this sort of firmament of other people around you. You don't exist in a vacuum. But I do feel that our society is driving us into this abyss of unique individuals connected by some abstract network, you know, be it the internet or some weird future version of that now that we're going into like 6G and 7G, who knows? The Matrix is becoming more and more of a reality in my opinion. And, you know, who knows, maybe the next, for any of you out there, I mean, this is not an original idea. If you listen to the Joe Rogan experience, some of the things they talk about is how the next form of life is going to be AI. Maybe that's true. Maybe humanity will find its place as a power supply for AI. Could happen, you know? I don't know. Anyway, I don't like it. I don't like the fact that uh, 
people are on their phones all the time. I went to a show this past weekend. Incredible show. It was uh, Watain, Morbid Angel, and Incantation. And so many people had their phones up. Sort of secondhand experience. Documenting something that they're probably never going to look at again. How many times do you record a show and you actually look at the video? Be honest. Rather than experience the intensity of the live event. And Watain is one of the best live bands I've ever seen in my life. I mean, you, you get a full, you know, you get the visual aspect. You get great music. You get this, this feeling from that show. And I, you know, I looked at the show. I watched the show. I didn't have my phone out. I was just experiencing the whole thing. The sights, the sounds, the smells, if you will, of watching that band perform live is like shouldn't be adulterated by looking at it through your phone. For some of you who know me personally, I, I actually rejoined the workforce in a way in the last year. Uh, for the last several years, I've been operating as a hunter-gatherer out there, working a freelance sort of lifestyle, uh, being on tour a lot with the band, uh, doing some writing, and doing a bunch of different types of work, which allowed me to have the freedom to pursue things. Uh, in the, out of out of more more of a financial need, I've, I re, rejoined the workforce. I have a regular job that requires me to show up at a certain time and be there between a certain number of hours. And you know, it's not the worst thing in the world. Um, you know, I, I have a good relationship with my boss. It's someone I've worked with before. A lot of the people I work with are also people that I've known for a really long time, and I feel comfortable there. Uh, but it still is a compromise, and um, you know, I, I always want to live a life where I'm not compromising my pursuit of passion. And uh, you know, this maybe is a a sort of detour towards the ultimate goal of total freedom. But nonetheless, it puts me in a place in New York City, Midtown Manhattan, which, in my opinion, is the belly of the beast when it comes to the dis disassociation of humanity. And, um, you know, there's a lot of input that I take in on a daily basis. A lot of data is being collected about my fellow humans. It starts on the train, and I'm starting to realize that there's a legit homeless problem in New York City. And, um, you know, I, I get up early. I'm on the train at six o'clock usually, and it takes me, you know, a bit of time to get into the city. And I feel like the earlier you get on the train, the more of the likelihood that you will see homeless people slumbering on the subway benches on the train. I mean, why not? If I was homeless and I didn't have someone to crash with, I'd probably live on the trains as well. It's, they're they're all night long, twenty four seven. In the middle of the night, there aren't that many people during the week on the train, so you can stretch out one of these benches and go to sleep. And um, and yeah, so experiencing that, noticing how much people, how many people actually seem to have no homes to go to. That uh, observation is compounded once I arrive at Midtown Manhattan and I get off at 35th Street and I walk over to 7th Avenue 
And the corner of 35th and 7th Avenue, uh, there's a, a network of scaffolding which provides the framework for what turns out to be this like cardboard shanty town of uh, homeless people. And believe me, I've seen some really dark things first thing in the morning. Um, sometimes I go to work, I'm at my jet desk sometimes at 6.30 in the morning, so I'll leave extra early and I'll catch that. I'll be in that neighborhood like around 5.30 in the morning. You know, the city's just starting to wake up. And I've seen um, people sh injecting heroin into their arms. I've seen homeless women providing sexual services to uh, men under the cover of their cardboard shelters. And this is all right out in the open on 35th Street. There's a police station just a block away, and there are people walking around going to their jobs. So it creates a certain mood, a certain feeling when you start the day off like this. So I go to my building with, to work. It's a WeWorks facility. And I mean, for those of you out there, do me a favor. Check out, uh, I don't know if WeWorks is all over the country. I know it's like really big here on the East Coast and, you know, in New York, there's several of these facilities and uh, this total snake oil salesman. Uh, who recently was uh, paid off to step down as CEO for this organization, uh, founded this idea of, a, you know, of sort of uh, work as you will. Like you can rent like a, a table. Like it's not a new idea. I, the, the term is escaping me is what it is. Like you can rent office space there. My company, though it is a, global corporation has somehow decided that it was like uh, worthwhile to put the you know rent office space in a WeWorks building so you know we have like two floors the um most of the people that are in this building though i i don't know what kind of work they do but uh they don't seem to be doing a lot of it they spend a lot of their times drinking coffee uh, playing around with their phones, wandering around, and uh, maybe not working. I don't know. Maybe it's like uh, a clubhouse for the privileged. A couple times I've uh, experienced, you know, people that work there showing spaces to uh, potential, you know, tenants, if you will. And the vibe is almost like when you join New York Sports Club or Boston Sports Club or whatever, like one of these gyms, one of these like uh, $10 a month gyms where people really want to, they really want to commit to bettering themselves and working out. But you know, people sell these memberships to these people knowing that they're probably going to show up for a few days and eventually stop going and they'll still collect that money. So... Yeah, the whole the whole pitch seemed like a sports club, like one of these chain sports clubs, and um, I don't know, it's just it's just a bad vibe, man. It's like a very, I mean, I like my work, I enjoy my coworkers, but everything around it sucks, and I fucking hate it, and uh, that's just the lot in life that I've been dealt, so I have to deal with it. Anyway, enough of that. Another thing that I've actually seen is the delusional 
forgetfulness that people have. And I'm, this is not going to be a political thing, and I don't like to be political on this show, but, you know, we're, there's a lot of talk about the impeachment of Donald Trump. Uh, you know, there's, there's um, the up, up, you know, upcoming elections. And I, I'd always, it just baffles me that people don't remember, especially Republicans and all these right-wing jerk-offs, they, don't, they forget that Donald Trump used to be a Democrat. And all these, you know, it used to be the right wing and the Republicans were anti-Russia. That Russia was this like evil empire, you know, this uh, to, to coin up, you know, to use a, a common phrase that a Republican used to refer to Russia as an evil empire. Now, according to guys like Donald Trump and the other Republican Party and all these right wing douchebags, Russia is okay. I just think it requires further examination. And uh, there's a grand illusion going on. And it's scary. And uh, it's something that we all need to be aware of. And whatever side of the political spectrum you fall on, you know, I just, I just want everyone to be more reasonable. I mean, this is like the most decisive. This is like a very decisive election coming up. And I just want there to be, and it's only been like a few years have gone by where people weren't at each other's throats like they are now. I mean, you can't even have a difference of opinion without there being a potential fist fight or a verbal fist fight at the very least. Everyone has to pick a side. You can't hang out in the middle anymore. You got to either be, either be with us. And if you're not with us, you're against us. And it's a very uncomfortable time in history and... As time goes by, I think that these last several years will go down in American history as incredibly dark years. You know, hopefully everything turns out for the best, but there's a big potential that things are not going to go very well in the coming years. So keep that in mind. And um, yeah, I just uh, now on to some fun stuff. I want to talk about some of my favorite records in the last 10 years. And uh you know, thanks to everyone who's been checking out Metal Matters. I mean, this is the first, 2019 was the first full year of that show. Uh, it's been doing pretty well. Uh, I had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, 20, 2020, we got a bunch of other cool things in store for you guys. I got a chance to interview some really cool people, and I'm thankful for that. Um, got a chance to talk to a bunch of interesting people about a, a lot of interesting stuff. And um, one of the coolest things for me being a huge Samhain fan, I got a chance to talk to London May. And uh, London and I have continued to correspond with each other. Uh, same thing with Dwight Hellion, a uh, big integrity fan for many, many years. And I got a chance to sit down with him twice, actually. And uh, he doesn't remember the first one. I had to remind him of that one because it happened during their performance at uh, one of the Psycho Las Vegas shows uh, that happened. And, uh, you know, he was probably doing a bunch of different phoners and whatever. But we had a chance to really spend some time and talk and get into some cool stuff. So that was a really, you know, big high point for me. And as some of you know, if uh, you listen to Tombs, my band that I've been doing for the last 10 plus years, we have signed to Season of Mist. We have a brand new EP coming out in uh, February next year called Monarchy of Shadows. And um, that band has not been without its struggles. And 
I feel fortunate to still be able to continue making music and doing things at a more or less legitimate level. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not under any, you know, I'm not deluding myself. I, I, I completely understand where the, where tomb sits in the hierarchy of other bands. Like I, I, and that's why I'm grateful to continue to be doing the band. I know that, you know, we're not, we're not a popular band, like in the sense of other bands, we don't have, you know, a huge fan base, but I'm grateful for the fans we have. And a lot of the, what, what I think is really cool is that a lot of the people that listen to the band have been on board since the beginning. Yeah. I remember a couple of years ago, I played a show in Baltimore and it was, it was a pretty decent show. And I met some guy who had a shirt that he bought on maybe our second or third time that we'd ever played in that city. And it, you know, he showed it to me and I was like, man, that's, that's awesome. I appreciate you sticking it out and, and checking out all the different eras of the band. You know, and, and at the end of the day, uh, there, this is it. This is what I do. You know, this is like the only thing I've consistently done my entire life is make music. You know, jobs have come and gone. I've lived in different cities. You know, I've had different um, outlets for certain stuff in my life. I've, I've been through relationships with people. Friends have come and gone. Uh, women, relationship with women has come and gone and, and like, this is the only thing that I really have done with any consistency is make music. And the last 10 plus years with tombs have galvanized my resolve to continue to do this stuff. And, you know, to the death, this is what I'm going to be doing. And for better or for worse, I put my entire life into this. So, you know, I'm just happy to be able to continue to write music and put it out there make it available for people to check out, go out on the road, perform, travel, because it really is what I enjoy doing more than anything. And um, so, yeah, with that said, we actually have plans to record another LP next year. So if you're a fan of the band, in 2020, you will have two Tombs records to enjoy. The first one being the EP, which is on the long side, comes out February 28th. And uh, that's on Season of Mist. It's called Monarchy of Shadows. We pretty much have all the material written for an LP, which is going to be recorded in May. And at some point in the next several months, there'll be an announcement for when that's going to be released. That will also be on Season of Mist, our new home. And I look forward to this new chapter. Uh, I really enjoy playing with these guys. Uh you know, without going into too much detail about how things were over the last few years, uh, the Metal Blade era with those guys, that, that didn't work out too well. Um, there's some very, <laughs> very heavy lineup stuff going on. A lot of um, bad situations and forcing myself to deal with these situations. I mean, I got to be honest with you guys. There came a time in 2017 where I thought about like, fuck it, why do I even bother doing this stuff? You know, it's like I've gone through a bad, bad like stretch with some members. There were some very uncool things that went on, and I thought about, wow, I have probably the biggest opportunity to do something on the highest level that I've ever done with you know the Metal Blade opportunity, and shit's just falling apart, man. 
And uh, I thought about just not doing it. I thought about like ending the band and not continuing. And um, I just hate the idea of quitting. I don't think I've ever real besides a job. <laughs> I don't think I've ever given up on anything. I've always persevered. I've always gotten back up. You know, dusted myself off and got back up and joined the fray. And that's the same thing with the band. It's like, and, I, and I'm glad. I'm glad that I continued. I'm glad that I kept going. Because like right now, I'm so happy to be playing with these guys, making the music that we're making. And I feel like this is the best that we've ever done, that I've personally ever done. You know, I'm putting more work and effort into the material that we're writing Night and Air than, I, than I've ever done in my life. And I feel like it's paying off. And to be involved with such high quality people, such great players and such cool guys has like motivated me to double down and to really put more intensity and more effort into the music that we're making. So I look forward to 2020. I hope we got it. I hope, I hope things, I hope we have a good year coming up. You know, 2019 was a mixed bag. Started off in a pretty, uh, pretty down place, but I feel like I'm finishing 2019 strong. I'm finishing the decade strong and there's a lot of potential looking forward. And I'm hoping that, I can capitalize on all that stuff and, and make things right in my life. So anyway, moving on to my favorite records of the last 10 years. And this is pretty much going to be in order. Um, anyone who wants to see, once again, I'm going to mention this, the top 10 of 2019, you can head over to uh, Metal Matters and you can check out mine and Randy's top five lists. If you're interested in horror films, you can check out the Necromaniacs Horror Podcast and you can find about what mine and Mike's top 10 of the last decade are. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff on there. We always have runner-ups. But I'm going to jump right in. Number 10, Triptychon, Iparistera Demones from 20, 2012. If I get these years wrong, just let me know. But I think I got these all pretty much right. Tom G. Warrior has been a huge influence on all the work that I've done, especially in tombs. And, um, he's been an inspiration. Uh, I feel like his ability to change and to always be honest with what he wants to do creatively has been, um, very, very much something I've looked, looked up to in him. I mean, you know, Hellhammer, Celtic Frost, I feel like all the Celtic Frost records are all different, you know, and, and, and that is something I've tried to apply with my own creative endeavors to try to make each record different, everything always moving forward and evolving. You know, of course, yeah, you know, Cold Lake came out. A lot of people, including Tom, you know, they, they write that record off as, you know, whatever. It's like uh, the, the, the cock rock version of the band. But I, I actually think that's a solid album, man. It's like I don't. I was very taken aback when it came out, but I think it ages well. I think that it's a good record, and I think that people should give it a chance. But we're not talking about Cold Lake. We're talking about 2012's Triptychon debut record. And I got a chance to see that band on their first tour in the United States, and it was, like, awesome, totally awesome. 1349 was on the bill, and I, that was the first time I got a chance to see them. And, you know, a few years after that show... I got to become, you know, really good friends with those guys. We've done two tours together, and I totally 
support what those guys are doing as well. So I look forward to more Trypticon records. I know that, um, you know, Tom's out there performing Hellhammer and Celtic Frost stuff right now, but I want to, I want a new Trypticon record in the next, uh, you know, few years. Number nine, Godflesh, post self 2017. Godflesh, always a favorite of mine. Um, I feel like post self is a combination of what he was trying to do, Justin Broderick, that is, in Yesu, combined with the the best elements of Godflesh. Because if, if you listen to that record, you kind of have it all. You have brutal heaviness. You got GC Green, you know, playing his like throbbing bass lines. But there's also a lot of like hip hop elements, kind of uh, you know, post uh, punk, uh, shoegaze stuff, like electronic music. You get uh, a very complete spectrum of the kind of things that Justin Broderick and GC Green can do. And and uh, I've never been satisfied with Yesu. I, I like the records. I like certain things about all of the records. However, live, that band has never quite delivered the goods. And I remember when Godflesh first started playing again. They, uh, you know, we went down to check him out at Maryland Death Fest with uh, Napalm Death a few years ago, and I was like very uh, curious about how it was going to go because for the last several years I've been watching Yesu perform and been more or less underwhelmed by that. But that particular day at Maryland Death Fest, when Godflesh played, they completely crushed, and I thought it was great, and I got a renewed, uh, you know, hopefulness for that. So Post Self, I think, is going to go down as a classic record for the band. It's uh, a very diverse record. A lot, I mean, it sounds great. The production's awesome. And there's a lot of different types of stuff going on, which I think is a, is a very accurate portrayal of, of uh, a very accurate portrait of the kind of work that those guys do. Number eight, Swans, The Seer from 2012. The fact that the Swans have a new record out at all is a event to be celebrated. But they're, you know, they they tried they got back into being a band again. I, I was overjoyed because uh, I mean I like all of uh, Gira's work. You know, Angels of Light is cool. His solo records are good. You know, I, I appreciate everything the guy's done. Um, but that the Seer is on par with like. Uh, you know, The Great Annihilator. I think that's like one of my favorite records that the Swans have done. Uh, you know, The Burning World is another great one. And I leave off those first early records because they were so different than anything that's on The Seer. But it just marks another step forward in a guy who is always looking forward. And, uh, and The Seer is another one of my favorite records in the last 10 years. Number seven, Gald's Word. I think that's how you pronounce it. Some people have pronounced it Gauls weird. I don't know. Ghost, Ghosts Invited from 2019. Came out this year. It also appears on my top of 2019 list too. Uh, you know, it, I, I'm a, I've always been a huge fan of this guy. I've enjoyed reading interviews with him. I've enjoyed seeing him uh, scare 
the hipsters that used to write for Vice, and um, you know, I, I love him. I think he's great. Love Gorgoroth. This record came as a complete. Well, I wouldn't say it's a surprise, but what surprised me was how well it was executed. Uh, it made sense to me that this record was something that was dwelling with inside Gaul's dark psyche. And um, yeah, it, it covers ground that I just think fits so well with black metal. You know, you have, you know, stuff like, um, like the death rock stuff, you know, stuff like fields of the Nephilim, you know, the swans, all that stuff to me goes hand in hand with black metal. And, you know, this record is uh, is a very good representation of the possibilities of those genres coexisting together. Number six, Alaric, End of Mirrors from 2016. The band Dead and Gone from the late 90s into the early part of the 21st century were a very underrated, mostly unsung band from the Bay Area. And they're a band that I've loved, you know, since I first heard them. They, the first time I saw Dead, well, actually, the only time I've seen Dead and Gone was when they opened for Neurosis on one of the uh, Through Silver and Blood tours. It was uh, Neurosis, I Hate God, Dead and Gone. And I'm sure I've talked about this particular night of my life in many different places and in interviews. I've talked about it on the podcast several times. And, and that one evening was one of the most transcendent evenings of my life that I've ever had experiencing a show. And Dead and Gone were part of that experience. They were on that tour, and they completely blew me away by what they were doing musically. You know, it's like a punk Joy Division almost. And I picked up their record, and I've uh, been a fan ever since. So Aller, why am I talking about Dead and Gone? Okay, sure. The reason why is because uh, the singer Shane from Dead and Gone is in Alaric. There's also uh, a member from Newthcrush in the band, another great band from the 90s, and they've kind of taken that post-punk thing and you know took that ball and ran with it, and they created this band Alaric. And you know, Ghost. Uh, I'm sorry, not Ghost Invited. Um, End of Mirrors is uh, is their, their the record that came out just a few years ago. And it's definitely, um, I think, like something you, you all should check out if you enjoy that. And the, the way I found out about them is through a split record with the band that's at number five, Atriarch. Atriarch's record, Forever the End, in, from 2011, is a record I constantly listen to. And the two bands, they, they had a split release that came out. And uh, I forgot which one I actually was familiar with at the time, but I bought this thing and I was like blown away by both sides. And, uh, you know, the Atriarch, Atriarch I've, I've just been a huge fan of ever since that. And um, But Forever the End, it's all about the song Shadows. That's, uh, you know, it's like this dirgy, very somber tone. And, and the band creates this very somber energy you know and, and i think that uh you know they, they they're definitely something that if if you like alaric and you like death rock and you know post-punk this thing fits right in and if you're a fan of black metal because there's definitely like a black metal tinge to some of their music you know 
and uh, Lenny Lenny was a guest on this the Everything Went Black podcast a couple of years ago, and he's like a really interesting guy. You know, Lenny's the singer, and um, yeah, I don't know, there's cool guys, great bands. Now we're up in the top four, and uh, these are the powerhouse records that came out in the last ten years. So at number four, we have Behemoth, the Satanist from 2014. I mean, what what can I say about Behemoth? One of the greatest live bands, one of the biggest blackened death metal bands in the world. If you go see Behemoth, you get a full experience, and I've seen them several times, and they're great live, and their records sound amazing, and they combine a lot of different things, which I enjoy. But The Satanist, I feel like, is probably their best album, I think, you know? So, at three, we have Atramores by Evoking from 2012, and Evoking, in a, in a lot of ways, Evoking is an underground legend band, and, and they... Were, are not, say, on the same level as some of these other bands, but, you know, like Behemoth, for example. But people in the know appreciate Behe- uh, appreciate Evoking as being legends, you know, especially here in the tri-state area. You know, they're, they don't play that often. They don't really tour. And they have such a big sort of grandiose sound that, I'm glad. I'm glad they don't tour because I don't think I'd like to see them play in, uh, you know, Kent, Ohio, in front of like 20 people. You know, I want to see them play with a nice sound system and like, you know, with appreciative fans and that kind of thing. So, Atramores is is a great record, and and that's probably my go-to album for them, aside from maybe some of the earlier stuff. But that is like one of their. Uh, luminary releases in their whole catalog so now we're coming up to number two and number one and to me one and two are are interchangeable depending on what day of the week you you reach me so at number two today i'm going to say mayhem's demon or damon from last year is my number two record and number one is watain Lawless Darklet, Lawless Darkness from 2010. Both bands are the creme de la creme of black metal, modern black metal that is. And I think that uh, you know Mayhem or one of the OG bands, but what they're doing now versus what they did on the first incarnation of the band are really eons apart. You know they. Yeah, the early stuff, the Death Crush material, that is like a lot of stuff wouldn't exist without that particular record. But what they're doing now is progressive and forward moving and and challenging. And and I love Attila as a vocalist. And I think the band is like amazing. And, And their most recent album, I think, is stands atop a mountain of great records. And Lawless Darkness from Watain is has uh, dethroned Sworn to the Dark as being my favorite Watain record, and it's all because Mal- the band- song Malfador is like amazing, and you know that that song is uh, they played it they played it this past weekend when I went to see them, and I was like jumping up and down extra hard and like pumping my fist with more vigor than I had been the rest of the night. So that's my uh, yeah my top ten of the last decade at least uh, as of today, you know, 
I, you know, reserve the privilege of changing my mind. But as of today, that's my top 10 of the last decade. I'll talk a little bit about MMA now. Uh, the last past weekend, there was a, uh, a much anticipated, a much anticipated, and this kind of goes hand in hand with my non-political talk earlier. We had uh, Colby Covington uh, contending for the welterweight title against Kamaru Usman. And I put this at the end because I realize some of you guys don't care about MMA, which is fine. So if you do care about MMA, hang in there a little bit longer. And I feel like this definitely is something I want to talk about because the grandiose moves that people have been doing in the years, in the last couple of years, maybe misrepresenting themselves in order to have more attention drawn to themselves, I feel has been a trend that makes me very unhappy. I mean, in MMA, it might have started with Conor McGregor and, you know, his uh, behavior, his, you know, underhanded sort of uh, mind games that he plays with his opponents, his selection of opponents, too. And the way the UFC has bought into this and in creating a you know a character and enabling him has been uh, opened a door for a lot of really bad behavior. And I and I find it hard with every year to back the UFC, particularly Dana White. You know, Dana White makes no qualms about his support for Donald Trump. And I, I, I hate to have like an organization that is such a diverse organization. I mean, you have every race religious background, every, everyone is represented in MMA, even in the UFC. And it, it, it kind of breaks my heart that the UFC has this kind of hashtag MAGA like vibe to it with Dana White at the helm. And uh, Colby Covington, yeah, everyone says that it was, uh, you know, a persona that it created, a, it was a work, he was playing the heel, not unlike the, the, um, WWE professional wrestlers but I said this way before back in 20 2001 when dudes started wearing mustaches ironically you know yeah I get it you don't really want to look like Tom Selleck you know but you're still a guy with a mustache you know uh, take that I'll leave that out there you might not believe the things the the extent the the, the extremity of the things that he was saying. Like, he might not have truly believed some of these dubiously racist comments, uh, but you have to take responsibility for the things that you say and the way you conduct yourself in this world. Much like Conor McGregor has to take responsibility for his sexual assaults on these two young women that, that we know about. Who knows how many other women out there he's sexually assaulted. And it bums me out that the UFC is just, oh, yeah, we're just going to put him in another fight. We're going to let him, you know, continue with his career without any mention of that. And it was covered in major news outlets in the United States. Yet there's no, even the MMA press, with the exception of Luke Thomas, hasn't even really acknowledged any of this stuff. They say, oh, yeah, Connor's you know, out of the cage activities. They refer to it as like he's being a wild man, like whatever. But I think that you have to really examine 
what he's being charged with and then you decide what it says about you if you want to support somebody like that. So anyway, back to Colby Covington. He was beaten by Kamaru Usman for Saturday night. And, uh, you know, I, I, it bums me out because Colby is a good fighter. I think that he's a talented guy. I think that he has a lot of, like, grit to fight two rounds with a broken jaw. But I can't really give him any props because of all the bullshit that guy said and the way that he's, like, dragged a sport that I love through the grime of all this bullshit, you know, potentially racist stuff like this hashtag MAGA bullshit, this Trump support. And regardless, I'm not saying that you can't be a, De- a Republican or whatever, or a Democrat, or you can, you know, you can't believe, but I do believe that Donald Trump and the whole hashtag MAGA movement represent the lowest vibrational components of our society. And that's my opinion, just the way everyone else has opinions. So Colby chose to use that platform to push himself forward, similar to Donald Trump, the the ex-Democrat who wanted to become president. And he figured the easiest way to become president is to run as a Republican, appeal himself to the opiate-addicted white underclass that live in the Midwest, which have the more the the higher the higher number of electoral votes. So the whole thing was contrived in my opinion. Similar to Colby Covington, his rise to welterweight contender which, you know, he would have gotten there eventually because he he's a, a great fighter. I think that he um it's unfortunate that he needed to to do this in order to get attention from people, but I think he would have found himself as a contender at some point. Anyway, there was a moral victory in a way that Usman d- destroyed his face at the end of that fight. And, uh, you know, he knocked him down. Of course, you know, people are saying, oh, well, there was a premature stoppage and all that and everything. But, you know, I got to be honest with you guys out there. If anyone has ever been punched in the face multiple times, um, I think that, Dan, uh, you know, uh, Mark Goddard, did Colby a favor by calling the fight, by waving the fight off. I mean, he, he saved him a bunch of brain damage, further damage to his jaw. You know, Colby was not fighting back um, in an intelligent manner. He was basically just, he had that C-grip around uh, Usman's leg and was hiding his face. So, you know, naturally, you know, he has to protest that it was stopped prematurely. So anyone out there, who thinks the stop the fight was stopped prematurely doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about basically and uh, you should shut the fuck up and maybe go out and train and see what it's like to get punched in the face repeated times and then you'll understand that the fight was over and Goddard did a good job as an official and I think Goddard is like one of the best out there so anyway so what's next I think uh, you know Colby is going to be at the top five for a long time. Maybe he reevaluates his uh, his approach because I feel like the only way this could have ended for him, the only way that this persona would have been validated, would have been if he'd won the title. So he got he lost. He didn't he didn't win. He he was defeated, and he goes back in line with everyone else. The next contender comes up. 
Kamaru's got to defend his title against the next guy. So what? where does that leave Colby with his uh, hashtag MAGA act? Who knows? You know, maybe this was like the one shot he had. You know, I don't know. He's not going to be coming back anytime soon with that busted jaw. So we'll see later in 2020 what happens to him. My, my, uh, my feeling is that um, Jorge Masvidal is probably next in line for a title shot. And I think that'd be a very interesting fight. So we'll see what happens. Anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, just, uh, you know, it's been, I, I don't do these that often, but I think next year in 2020, I got some plans for doing this thing at least monthly or twice a month. Uh, Metal Matters takes up a lot of my time because that's a weekly show. And uh, I thank everyone for checking that out. And uh, yeah, we're f- I'm figuring out what the best thing to do with Everything Went Black because I really enjoy the freedom of doing this on my own without anyone sort of producing it, you know, so... We'll see what happens. Thanks for hanging in there. Anyway, everyone have a safe holiday. I hope everyone's having uh, a good time and that they're looking forward to 2020. And I'll see you guys soon. Take care.